Then God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make yourself an idol or any likeness of what is in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the water under the earth. You shall not worship them or serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of your fathers on the children, on the third and on the fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing loving kindness to thousands, to those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not leave him unpunished who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male or your female servant, or your cattle or your sojourner who stays with you. For in the six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth and the sea and all that is in them, the and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy." Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be prolonged in the land which the Lord your God gives you. You shall not murder. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you. Online, I will jump right in. Um, I had the opportunity this past Tuesday to watch the new film, Joker, um, starring Joaquin Phoenix. And don't worry, um, no spoiler alerts here, so I won't ruin it for you if you haven't seen it. But, and also, parents of junior high, I wouldn't recommend it to junior high, not because of anything. Uh, the violence, all of us have seen, unfortunately, but this film, unlike any other film I think I've seen in a long time, is like a master course on what rejection, loneliness, hurt, pain, abuse, and all this stuff does to a human person. And if you know who Joker is, the character in Batman, like he, the story is of how the Joker becomes a Joker. Um, it, it chronicles the journey that this character goes on to become the Joker and the deadly ramifications, literally, of what this type of stuff does to a soul. I, I, read a, I watched a video, uh, kind of a recap of the director, and he said it's supposed to be like the slow, raging amp up to the point where he hits and Joker becomes Joker. And it's one of the more like raw and real things. That's why I don't recommend it for the junior high students in here. Um, and having studied psychology for a bit and uh, walked with people who've been going through this and who've had um, these kind of issues in their life, I think they can deeply identify. The movie is so authentic. It's so real, right? So like palpable and tangible. It's unsettling. It's riveting. It's like mesmerizing, like all at the same time, right? And the reason why I'm mentioning it is because I'm not here to review the movie, but the film unlike anything I've seen in a long time, absolutely nails, I think, what's at the heart of today's commandment. You shall not murder. If you know Joker, he's a villain. Evil and murder is on his heart and on his mind. But this film, unlike any other, gets at the underbelly, like the undercurrent of what's going on behind the character and behind the murders and the behind the murderer. All highlighting things, right, that is so critical, I think, for all of us to understand. For people back in Moses' time when God first spoke this, 
people throughout the Bible, throughout Jesus' time, and of course, people in today's time, that we, I think, are in a place where this commandment needs to be taken very seriously because it's having crazy ramifications, not only in the world, but also in our personal lives. And so that's why I wanted to, if you haven't, if you are age appropriate, then I suggest you go see it with this heart in mind. And if you haven't seen it yet, it might be a good thing to check out after this, because I think, again, it'll give you a visual representation of a lot of what we're going to be talking about today. But anyways, jumping in, then the three questions we've been kind of asking throughout this series on the Ten Commandments, the insider's guide to protecting a life of freedom and enhancing a life of freedom are this, why this commandment? You've seen them again and again. What is murder, right? And then three, how do you keep the commandments? What, why this commandment? Why does God give it? What indeed does he mean by murder? And then how do you keep this commandment that God has given? So we'll just jump right in. First question, why this commandment? If you were here last week, we mentioned that when Jesus is asked about the greatest commandment, he responds uh, and click. He says, love Yahweh your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second, love your neighbor as yourself, Right? And then if you kind of, again, if you heard last week, we understood that as you click, um, the first one is loving God, vertical, first four, and then you do the second, loving others by doing the last six, and that's kind of um, the, the, the horizontal there. And if you kind of look at these commandments and you kind of understand what this is, I think when you put it like that, that loving God requires that you keep the first four commandments and loving others requires that you keep the last six, I think it's fairly easy and I think obvious that our world is very loveless. We just don't have a whole lot of love in the world. Again, it's what I said at the very beginning before we started, right? And we know this maybe even better than others because with all the shootings and all the other stuff that's going around in the world, we know how loveless our world can be, right? But as Jesus has described it, as we know, life was designed so that you and I would all love God and then love the neighbor and then live as free people. But it just doesn't happen very much. And so it feels like to me that God is speaking this commandment, click, that because it is his great protest against inhumanity. God is passionately pleading for all of humanity to be what it was designed to be. That in some ways it's really tragic and sad that God would have to speak this commandment in the first place. But I think there's three kind of specific reasons why he speaks this commandment. And here are the reasons. We'll go with the first one. Number one. Even though it should be very clear, murder, I don't know if you know, is a hotly debated topic. And if you're like, what? Think about it. What about war? Is that murder? Physician-assisted death, is that murder? Capital punishment, which is when you put someone to death who's in jail, like for a really bad crime, is that murder? Is abortion murder? Is... And we're not here to get into all those debates of whether they are not or you know, whether they are or not. But if you have conversations with people about these types of topics in the world today, you're going to all, undoubtedly, you're going to hear someone go, yeah, 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 but what about, and then they'll fill in the blank. What about, there's the raging war between police and civilians in the world where we ask the question all the time, what constitutes murder? Wasn't that self-defense? You know, hands down, don't shoot. You may have heard of the case in Dallas that happened not too long ago of a female uh, white police officer named Amber Geiger who was off duty and she walked into the wrong apartment in her complex, the apartment of a guy by the name of Boston Jean, thought he was a burglar in her apartment, though he was sitting in his own apartment studying, I think, and shot him dead because she was scared. And then the thing went to trial just recently 
And even in that trial, again, a police officer walked into the wrong apartment and assumed that the black man sitting in that apartment was a burglar and then shot him dead. Though he was unarmed, peacefully sitting, I think, at his dinner table or whatever. It was up in the air whether she was going to get convicted for murder or whether she was going to be allowed to say that it was self-defense. Because apparently, if you're in your home and someone intrudes, then you are allowed to then have self-defense. Apparently, that's the state law. And they were thinking, and they actually allowed her to think that, oh, she thought she was in her apartment, and so on and so forth. And if you've seen um, the video, there's a lot of whole lot of things. You can go check it out about the forgiveness, and we'll talk about that a little bit later. But she was sentenced to 10 years of, for murder, murder, but she's eligible for parole, which means she can get out in five. All that to say, something that should be so simple is so not simple. It's fuzzy in the time. And so God protests against this idea, and you can almost hear the anguish, I think, in his voice if you read it. The second reason that God speaks it in protest is because every single life, click, is sacred, period. Again, this ought to be self-evident. Every single one of your lives in here is sacred. It's why I asked y'all to do the thing in the very beginning, because your life has meaning, but this isn't so clear, is it? I think God is telling us that because he is the author of life and we are life created in his image, we are sacred, period. It's a fact. It means that every human life, young or old, good or evil, beautiful or deformed, or whatever categorization you want to put on it, is sacred. I don't know if you believe that. We should. But I want you to note something that I think some theologians have uh, caught onto that I absolutely love. And the reason why every life is sacred, I want to read this for you. Click the first quote. It would be wrong to interpret this commandment as embodying the notion of the absolute sanctity of human life. Life isn't, sanct- isn't sacred because it's life. What is protected is not life itself, but the life accorded to the person by Yahweh. Because we are created in Yahweh's image, we are sacred. And every human being on the planet is created in Yahweh's image. Or my professor says this, click, life is not sacred because it is life, but because life is a gift of God. Every human life is a gift of God. My life is a gift of God. Your life is a gift of God. Indeed, every human life then is a gift of God. It's why God speaks and protests against the inhumanity. And then the third reason, click, that God speaks is because only God has the right to give life and to take life. If you know anyone who's married and trying to have kids, you'll know, and this is not to be whatever weird, human beings cannot create babies just because they feel like it. God has to bring that life to being. And because God can only give life, only he has the right to take life. See, every time a murder happens, I think the murderer is proclaiming two things that he or she assumes to be true. Number one, click. The goal achieved by the act is of greater value than the God-given life of the person murdered. Whatever I am murdering for, whatever I am killing for, whatever I am doing this for is of greater value than the life that you have or that person has as a God-given creation. See, if you understand why this happens throughout the world, people take life and people murder for a variety of reasons in a variety of ways. People murder to protect status. 
People murder to get revenge. People murder to gain money. People murder to maintain a lifestyle. People murder to cover up mistakes. Whenever a murder therefore happens, the murderer is proclaiming my status, my lifestyle, my desire to get even, whatever my goal is, is greater of value than your life that I just took. And the second thing that the murderer is proclaiming is that the goal achieved of the act is so important that it justifies me doing that which only God can and ought do. Yeah, you and I, we can take life. We've seen that too many times. But let's be clear. Though we can, we ought not. We may not, right? It's like the whole, when you're in elementary school, teacher, can I go to the bathroom? Yes, you can. But then you have to ask, may I go to the bathroom? Because, you know, it's like one of those things, you know, I know you can use the bathroom, but, you know, are you allowed is kind of the idea. We can take life, but we ought not. We may not. See, since God can only give life, only he, therefore, has the right or the power or the authority to take it. And if you're, if you're saying, no, 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 human beings can create life. Cloning doesn't count because cloning literally multiplies a duplicate of me in every way. Whereas God creates life and is unique in every sense of way. There's no, did you know, I don't, I don't know if you know this, but you know there's literally only one of you. You're one of one in the entire world. There's no duplicate of you ever. Like that's crazy. But because God can only give life in this manner, only he has the right to take it. See, for us to take life is then to play God, to step out of our lane and do that which only God can and ought do. Maybe you have dreams to be the president. But do you really want to be the president? Because, you know, being the president doesn't mean that you get money and you can live at the White House. I mean, it means that, maybe, but it means so much more. Like, you have responsibility that you probably don't want, because I don't want to be president. Like, maybe you might want kids. A lot of times, this is not to be sexist, but a lot of ladies will be like, ooh, I want kids. But being, having a kid and being a parent, two totally different things. We talked about that last week, right? Maybe you want a cute little thing. But to be the parent, like, again, we have the little babies in the back. We got Brielle, Chloe, and Grace, and they're great. I love to hold them, but then I love it because, again, I can give them back. You know? I love kids, but I have three of my own. I'm parent to three. It's a difference. People ask me all the time, Do you want, don't you want to be senior pastor? And I go, nope. And they're like, why not? And I was like, because I don't want to have to deal with the stuff that he's got to deal with. I don't want to have to sit in a meeting talking about how much money our church has to spend. I don't want to be in a meeting talking about all the structure stuff. I don't want to be in a meeting where you got to talk about all the building stuff. Like, I don't want to deal with all that stuff. There's so much that he's got to do. I'm already busy enough. I don't want it. I don't want the responsibility. I don't want that power. I don't want it. I can, maybe, but I don't want to because I ought not. There are things that only God ought do. Because only he can. And bringing life and therefore taking life is one of them. If you know the story of David and Bathsheba and Uriah, you know the story, right? David sleeps with Uriah. I mean, sorry, Bathsheba. I apologize. David sleeps with Bathsheba because he thinks she's pretty. He just, she just happens to be Uriah's wife who happens to be one of his best buddies that protected him when he was out in the wilderness, right? And then he's like, oh, shoot. And she gets pregnant. She's like, oh, shoot, that's not good. So then he brings Uriah home and then says, hey, you know, like, love on your wife, you know, so that maybe we can kind of, you know, make things go away. And people think that that's your baby, but it's actually mine. And then, of course, he's too honorable. And he's like, I can't sleep with my wife. All my people are in the battlefield. So he goes back. And so David's like, <laughs> so then he's like, okay, you know what? Put him on the front line. He murders him, literally, and then takes Bathsheba to be his wife. I know, it's terrible. Right? That's getting revenge, covering up, all that kind of stuff all into one. But do you know when, after David realizes what he's done, do you know what his prayer is? He says, I have sinned against you, God. Why? Because life is God's territory. It's not ours. First and foremost, he did what only God can do. 
and he sinned against God, along with sinning against Uriah and Bathsheba. Click, to take another human being's life is to destroy a work of God, to destroy something that is sacred and to commit idolatry as we play the role that only God can play. Hence, you shall not murder. Then the second question, what is murder? Again, it's hotly debated. We don't really know. But let me define it for you. The murder, the word in Hebrew, it literally means to kill. You'll see it on the screen. Boop, there it is. It's the singular you, right? Not a plural you. So it literally means one human being taking the life of another human being. That's literally what the word in Hebrew means, right? It's what we understand as first-degree murder in our day. So then as we just saw, it means that what God is saying is that no human being has the right to take the life of another human being because only God has that right to give life and therefore to take life, right? So that's easy to understand. And I think most of us in here, I think, I hope, and I'm pretty sure, most of us in here will never ever take the life of another human being, thankfully, right? But then the question is, does that mean all of us in this room are safe? That this commandment is for the quote-unquote, you know, whatever people out there that would actually do this sort of thing? No, I don't think so. Because fortunately, and yes, I said fortunately for us, Jesus clarifies in Matthew like this. Let me read it for you. He says this, click. You've heard that the ancients were told you shall not commit murder. And whoever commits murder shall be liable to the court. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother shall be guilty before the court. And whoever says to his brother, you good for nothing, shall be guilty before the supreme court. And whoever says, you fool, shall be guilty enough to go into the fiery hell. Click. Therefore, if you are presenting your offering at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your offering there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and present your offering. Make friends quickly with the opponent at law while you are with him on the way so that your opponent may not hand you over to the judge and the judge to the officer and then you be thrown into prison. Truly I say to you, you will not come out of there until you have paid up the last cent. You may have heard this before. It comes from Matthew. And Jesus says, click, you have heard, right? It means Jesus wants to go a little bit deeper than what you may have known. And what Jesus is doing is pointing out that murder is more than just the action, that there's something deeper to that. And this is where you all need to pay attention. We all need to pay attention. The real problem with this commandment that Jesus Jesus and God is trying to get at is that no action, no matter what action it is, is born out of nothing. It doesn't poof, apply out of nowhere. Every action starts from somewhere and the real problem always begins with the heart. Murder begins and murder is born, therefore, out of the unresolved anger in your heart. You may have noticed, I highlighted for you on the screen, right, of the escalating intensity in the actions and the escalating intensity in the judgment. If you're angry with a brother, you're guilty before the court. Click. If you say to someone, you good for nothing, the Greek word there is raka. It means empty. It means you empty-headed, you idiot, you fool. It's harsh sarcasm and insulting of someone's mental capacity, aka anytime if you've ever called anyone a stupid, bumbling fool and you meant it, guilty. And then you see the next one, you fool. Guilty enough for hell, it's the word more in Greek, literally where we get the word moron, it's insulting someone's character and personhood. And I'm pretty sure every single person in here has called, called somebody a moron a time or two or a thousand. Now, I have to say, before we get on any further, that Jesus is not saying that these words or these actions are murder, which I think some of us have come to believe. No, no, no. But the nursing of the anger 
not resolving the anger in our hearts that results in the anger, the harsh sarcasm, and the insulting words are not murder, but they will lead to murder. <laughs> anger and insults are the ugly symptoms of a desire to get rid of someone who is in the way. Which is behind every murder and beneath every murder and before every murder is the act of nursing anger, harsh sarcasm, and insulting words. My professor says it like this, click, homicide, the ultimate act of inhumanity comes out of the deep reservoir of unresolved anger, which means you have to ask yourself, do you have unresolved anger? It's the reason why I always say up here, anytime we have a great tragedy in the world, that I am personally capable of being that person, put me in the right circumstance, take my unresolved anger and don't do anything about it, and yeah, I'll get there. Not that slowly either, it seems. What this means then for you is that to God, hiding nursing or shoving aside your unresolved anger is just as displeasing to him as murder. The uttering of harsh, sarcastic remarks meant to tear the person down are just as damaging to a relationship as murder. The insulting of one's character is just as deserving of judgment as murder. All of it displeasing, damaging, and deserving of judgment just like Murder. Which means if you have unresolved anger in your heart, you got issues. Julia Michael's song, I got issues, but you got them too. So I think I now maybe have your attention. And if you are a person who says you have no unresolved anger in your heart. Sorry to say, you're probably in denial. Then the third question, how do we keep this commandment? Well, Jesus just told us, thanks be to God. And the way we deal with it, the anger and the insults and the sarcasm is really simple. Click, you just deal with it. Ta-da. Deal with him or her. Deal with the person you're angry with, who you hurl sarcasm and insults at. And if you read, and as we read it together, Jesus says quickly and seriously, so serious, he says, if you have issues with somebody in here, you should leave the worship before you offer your offering, reconcile with that person, and then come back because that's how important it is. Paul says in Ephesians 4, it's not on your screen, but he says, before the sun goes down on your anger, deal with it. Because the unresolved anger in your heart will turn into a cesspool of poison, is what my professor says. That's the place where the you idiots and you fools and murder come from. So the four steps, click, we'll go through them really quickly, one by one. One, realize your capacity for inhumanity. You have to admit it. You got to realize that you can be as inhumane as any other person on the face of the planet. Ask God for the realization. 
Many of our first issues are that we forget how sinful and wretched and inhumane we actually can be. If you have siblings, you probably are reminded of this every single day, I hope. Maybe actually, no, I shouldn't hope for that. You should not hope for that, but anyways, you get it. Second, then confess our inner humanity. Tell God what you see in yourself, what I see in myself, because he is gracious and forgiving and merciful. Trust that and actually confess that to him. That's huge. The third then is to decide to forgive those who have, you, those have been inhumane, inhumane to me. Ask God for the grace to forgive. Because be clear, an unforgiving spirit will eat you and I alive and actually express itself etern- externally at some point. Did you know if you have unresolved anger in your heart, sometimes it can give you migraines and headaches? But also internally, You have these thoughts and all you're doing is murdering yourself. And we'll get, again, we'll go back to this a little later. And then the fourth one is to seek reconciliation. This is the do. After you decide to forgive, actually forgive. Now here's a note. When you're going through these steps, you may not actually succeed. And for many of you, that'll stop you. You'll look at the person who's like, I need reconciliation. I'm going to go ask them to forgive me. And you'll be like, but they won't answer. You know what? They're in a really bad place or whatever. And you'll say, I'm going to stop. I'm going to wait. Wrong. And you'll see why. Even if you don't succeed, make the step. Know that you may even be further rejected and further stomped on and further ridiculed. But know that you are freeing yourself in the process because the anger is no longer killing you on the inside. These aren't, by the way, airy-fairy theories. These are practical things that you ought to do all the time. The degree to which you practice them or not practice them will indeed impact the degree to which you will keep or not keep this commandment. But at this point, I think you're probably wondering, and you're probably, many of you, so many of you, if not all of you, are so smart, you're probably like, okay, Pete, cool, but like, I mean, is that really going to work? Is it actually going to help the anger, the insults, the sarcasm? Sounds too easy. And let's be real, Pete, it ain't that easy. Well, then what's the answer? And I'm going to give it to you. And this is where we're going to get really real. And if you've been here for a while, it's something we talked about a lot, but we're going to try to get at the heart of it even more today. The answer is to receive forgiveness and accept the reconciliation from God. Now, you might be like, wait, wait, what? What does that have to do with me not murdering? You may have noticed in Scripture that Jesus takes forgiveness really seriously. Let me just account for the ways. In the Lord's Prayer, Jesus says, if, for if you forgive others, then your Father will forgive you, but if you don't, then he won't. Ooh, I'm paraphrasing, by the way. Right? If you forgive others, God will forgive you, but if you don't, then God ain't going to forgive you. That's serious. Then in the parable, the unforgiving servant, you know the one where the guy is forgiven like $6 billion, but he can't forgive 10000 that someone else owes him, and you remember what happens? He comes back, he gets judged, and he gets thrown into jail until he can repay, which is never, right? And then Jesus adds in the parable this. People always forget. My heavenly Father will also do the same. Throw you in jail until you can repay, which is never if each of you does not forgive his brother from your heart. Basically, God will throw you in eternal jail so you can rot and die there if you aren't able to forgive. I know, Jesus is savage sometimes. Maybe you haven't noticed. Or in the cursing of the fig tree in Mark 11, after he curses the fig tree for being hollow, for being the looking good on the outside, but the inside is all rotten, ain't got nothing there that's of of Christ, right? You know what he says to the disciples and after? He teaches them, he says, so whenever you stand praying, forgive. And if you have anything against anyone, 
Forgive so that your father who is in heaven will also forgive your transgression. AKA, if you cannot, you're just like the fig tree and you're hollow on the inside and you might as well curse and be dead because they don't, I mean, what's the difference? It's the same. Forgiveness, as you can probably tell, is a big deal. But what's all going on? Well, I think it's this. Your lack of a desire or the willingness to forgive and your lack for seeking reconciliation shows, unlike anything else, that there is a reservoir of unresolved anger in here, which also means there's a fundamental misunderstanding of the gospel, in my opinion. Let me say it again. Your unwillingness to forgive someone who has been inhumane to you shows you that you have anger in here that you need to take care of and that you may not actually understand the gospel, full stop. Because let's, let's quickly go over forgiveness. And if you've been here with us for a long time, you know these terms, but let's go over them. There's three things you gotta know. One is justice, right, getting what you deserve. Second is mercy, not getting what you deserve. And third is grace, getting what you don't deserve. But let me go over this example for you. And I'll just go out. Let's just say that I went out and I murdered Jerome's wife, Camilla. I don't know why I chose those names. It just sounded okay. As I am the murderer of Camilla, Jerome's wife, I deserve to go to jail. Be it our system of capital punishment, maybe, or go to jail forever for first-degree murder, right? So that's justice. Me going to jail or getting capital punishment, right? You get that. I get what I deserve. But Jerome decides not to give it to me. And let me go free and saying, you know what? It's all good. You don't have to serve that punishment. I forgive you. That's mercy. I didn't get what I deserved. But because I'm a convicted felon, I can't get a job. I won't ever be able to make money. If you just leave me alone out in society, knowing that I'm a convicted murderer, then I'm probably just going to be homeless and maybe die somewhere or whatever, right? Jerome looks at me and goes, I don't, I don't want to let this happen to you. I didn't just forgive you or give you mercy for no reason. So you know what? How about you come live with me in my house, become my maid, nanny, whatever you want to be, have a job, and you can be a home caretaker, and then you can be a nanny for my three-year-old. Now that doesn't have a mother. That's grace personified, right? I got life I didn't deserve. Now, biblical forgiveness is all three, I hope you know. And if you are understanding, if you're like, where, where are you getting these ideas? It's what happens to us. Remember, we sin again and again, right? I hope you know that to be true. And the penalty for sin is death eternal. Justice for us is at being dead and separated from Christ forever and ever and ever. But God doesn't give us that. He pardons, he pardons us, doesn't give us that. That's mercy. We don't get death eternal, but rather he dies on the cross and then grants us eternal life. That's grace, right? It'd be one thing for God to say, you know what? You don't want to be dead forever, but you know what? You can just be a regular person. But God says, no, 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 I'm going to give you grace and give you life with me, adoption into my family, life, freedom, joy, goodness, and all that stuff. That's grace, which means then you need to understand that grace is not free. It is very costly, as Dietrich Bonhoeffer reminds us in many of his books. And so this is where receiving Jesus' forgiveness and reconciliation comes in. And let me just put it all together for you. Ask yourself, why did Jesus go to the cross? Why did Jesus die on the cross? To pay for my sin and yours and everyone else's. 
But don't forget that you are included in that group of people. Someone has to pay for the sin. See, in the example of Jerome and Camilla, after actually Jerome gives me a job and I live in his home, he gets a phone call from the court. He picks it up and he says, Sir, yes, am I speaking to Jerome? Yes, you are. Um, It's really lovely and amazing that you didn't punish Pete. Really honorable. And I I can't even, I don't even know how you did that. But uh, I'm sorry to say, sir, but our our justice system requires that someone pays for this crime. Because, you know, if we don't make you pay, then our system will be ruined and then murderers will be out there willy-nilly just doing whatever they want and getting away with all these things. We can't have that. It would create chaos. And so someone has to pay for the guilt that Pete has committed. And the only two people that can take it, sir, sorry to say, is you or Pete. And Jerome goes, well... I'll be at the court in three hours. Let me say bye to my daughter first. And he walks in. And he gets there and they go, sir, do you really want to do this? You know this, you know what this is going to cost you. Oh yeah, I know, I've counted the cost. I will pay for that which is deserved. See, then if you put all this together, then the inhumanity in your heart, the anger, the unresolved anger, the insults, the sarcasm, and all this stuff that leads to all of this, it means to not be able to forgive someone is to not realize or confess or decide or seek is to discredit that which Jesus did on the cross for you. It's to say Jesus died on the cross for everyone else's sins but mine because I'm okay, I'm good. I didn't need Jesus to do that for me. Let's be honest. And again, you realize that if you have this attitude, then you will only continue the violence, continue the hate, continue the pain and the cycle and everything which is recirculating and will breed upon itself. You continue to feed the cesspool, the reservoir of unresolved anger with more anger and it just boils inside of you. And no matter how hard you try to maintain it and keep a lid on it, at some point it will explode. Mark my words. But if you receive the fountain of blood shed by Emmanuel's veins that washes my sin away, then you will have no choice but to protest the inhumanity just like our Yahweh is doing and then realize, confess, forgive, and seek reconciliation with God and then with the others who have been inhumane to you. And here's the key. Because even if the other person decides not to receive your mercy or grace, you having received Jesus' forgiveness will set you free from the cycle of hatred that just works and works and works in us. Did you know that? Remember, the whole Ten Commandments series is the idea that doing this protects and enhances the life of freedom that God wins for us out of Israel. Which means for us to not be able to forgive and not want to do these things is not to have received Jesus' forgiveness in the first place. And all you're doing is regurgitating the cycle of hatred and violence in your heart. And I don't know a single person in here who actually likes to be angry, who likes to tell people that they suck or that all the things that we want to tell them. I don't, li- I don't know anyone who likes to have these thoughts in their mind 
walking around telling people that they're worthless in their mind and doing all these things. I don't, like, I don't know anyone who does that. So as you then receive the forgiveness of Christ, then what Lewis Smith says comes to life. You see it on the screen. To forgive someone is to set a prisoner free and discover that the prisoner is This is not about being noble. It's about setting yourself free from the anger and the hatred that's all up in our heart that's ruining us from the very core. I just want to finish with this quote from my professor. And before we get there, just, and I'll invite the praise team up to get us ready. I don't know if you know of the thing called han. It's the Korean word. I'm Korean, so I'm just going to let you know. It's this thing that happened, and I'm, I'm actually some of the adults in the back will probably tell you and explain to you better than I do, but it's this basic general idea that our country, right, if you know anything about the history of Korea, we were imprisoned by the Japanese, kind of like Nazi Hitler kind of style, and we fought out of it, and there's all this stuff that happens, right? Because of that, in many ways, our country became, we, we embedded that, that pain and that hurt and that anger in our souls. And it just, it just like locked it up in there. And then once we started getting out, and once we started our, our, our nation, and if you don't know anything about Korea, and, and this is not to brag, it's like we went from literally one of the poorest, if not the poorest nation on that side of the world, to now maybe the richest and most economic, blah, 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 all this stuff. That's why all of you are here, because your parents are crazy. I told you about that last week, right? They're pioneers in many ways. But even though we were evolving, we were getting better, that han, that anger, that deep cesspool of unresolved anger never went away. It's why many of the men, and even us now, and many of our parents, they get angry like really quickly. We're prone to drugs and prone to alcohol, prone to violence, all that kind of stuff. It's why it's there. It's because we never dealt with it. And here's the crazy thing. If you do not forgive people, you are the one who's dying on the inside more than anybody else. And so before we go today, I hope you don't hear this as a way of being like, oh, you shouldn't be angry, that's a bad look. No, 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 no. You shouldn't be angry because it's killing you on the inside. You shouldn't be angry because you're murdering yourself. You shouldn't be angry because to be angry is, means that you have not fully received Christ's blood and his reconciliation and his forgiveness for you. If you know my story, everyone knows that I had a very deep hatred for my father. And when I forgave him and actually did it the biblical way, he was not the one who benefited way more than I was the one who benefited. It set me free unlike ever before. So friends, brothers and sisters, RK, family, I pray for you that this day, before we sing these songs, you'll look and take a deep look Realize, confess, decide, and seek that as you receive Christ's blood and forgiveness for you, that you would do it for the others. And the last thing that I'll say before I go, oftentimes, I think for many of you, particularly the ones in the church, the ones hardest to forgive are the people sitting in this room right now. The people who annoy you to no end. But can we be people set free from the slavery of anger and pain 
protest against the inhumanity of our world. Receiving forgiveness and reconciliation and giving it out so that the kingdom would come and that his name would be praised. So the next couple minutes, I challenge you to take a look at the anger in your heart. Identify who the anger is toward and ask God to forgive you for you to receive that freedom from him so that you can then extend it to the others. And in doing so, I pray for grace, mercy, and freedom for you now and the rest of your days. So take some time and then the praise team will lead us out and we'll respond in song.